you're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell. I initially started this podcast to learn more about the ins and outs of travel. Eventually, I discovered there's so much more to a person than where they go. My goal is to learn more from people who are going places. I've interviewed community leaders, entrepreneurs, veterans, authors, and experts who tell fascinating stories and give amazing advice. Thanks for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell, and today I'm talking to Victoria Hines. Victoria is a creative career coach, and she really empowers creative artists, and she helps them define their own success and go on their own career path. I'm so excited to have her on the show. I think her work is incredible, and what she does for creatives is so great. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kara, for having me. Yeah. Let's start by diving in because I know you started as an actress and you mm-hmm. you moved to Chicago. We can go a little bit back before then, but Chicago has a special place in my heart as well. So <laughs> let's start there. All right. So I, yes, I went to the University of Oklahoma to get my BFA in drama. Um, so that was me pursuing this love and passion of mine that I'd had since, oof, I mean, since I was a kid uh, for acting and performing. And I had a wonderful four years, lots of ups, lots of downs, Um, and sort of like the age-old advice that everybody tells you when you graduate from an acting school is you move to Chicago, New York, LA, and then you do X, Y, and Z, and this is how you quote-unquote make it. Um, So I followed that advice, and so I was like, okay, I have New York LA or Chicago to choose from. I knew I wasn't a New Yorker. I love visiting, but did not want to live there. Mm -hmm. And I, at the time, my sister was actually going to Ball State. So I took her car one weekend and drove it up to Chicago. And I think I was here two days and just walking around the city at that time, it just felt in my gut. I was like, this is a place I could live. Um, So I chose to move to Chicago in January of 2015. Do not recommend moving in January. (laughs) Yeah. So how was that experience? I know you worked pretty hard. I think you worked in, I want to say a diner. I can't really remember, but you you (laughs) were working a lot. yeah. Yeah. So you were working a lot, doing acting and then doing other things on the side. How was that experience leading up to, I know you experienced burnout. So let's dive into your career and how that kind of led to that. Absolutely. So I, I would say my career and my journey has always been somebody who wears a ton of hats, which I think as a creative, especially as an artist, you are often, there's always the assumption that you are going to have some sort of job or support work while you're also building this dream of yours. So In Chicago, I started working in a restaurant um, just because I had a friend who got me in the door and I I was too afraid to uh, live without a job for a long time. So I was like, yes, I'll just do it. Um, Meanwhile, I got sucked into working there for about two years. So I actually hit burnout in that job as well. Um, I have a tendency of staying in jobs for too long when I need to move on. Um, So I was working in the restaurant auditioning everywhere, trying to learn the layout of the land, doing internships. What I quickly realized though was working in a restaurant was not super conducive to being a theater artist um, because everything was at night. 
And so I quickly realized after two years and getting the lay of the land, like I was working at a job that was not the right hours in retrospect to what I wanted to be doing. Um, I also found myself just auditioning over and over again. And I was like, I need something in my day to day that feels like I'm serving some sort of purpose. Um, I'm a little bit more passionate about. So that put me on a quest to find a new day job. Uh, long story short, I took a job for, I think two weeks. Um, and then a theater company that I had applied to came back to me and offered me that position. So I said, sayonara to that two week <laughs> job, um, which it is okay to do. It is okay to walk away when you get a better offer from somebody else you were waiting on. Um, and I started working part-time in arts administration for a theater company. Uh, that job turned into a full-time position when people left and I became sort of the sole heir of a lot of knowledge and skill sets um, at that company. So I sort of became this indispensable cogs and at the organization and they were super understanding and flexible as far as me leaving for auditions and so I at that moment I had also booked this big big show in Chicago um at the same time as getting so this full-time job so in that moment I felt like I was on top of the world I felt like I had made it I had the perfect flexible full-time gig with health insurance and I had just booked this big job at this theater company and this was it, like this was gonna be, all the doors were opening and it was gonna be smooth sailing from there. Yeah, no. <laughs> Not how that works. Um, it worked for a while. Um, and I did, I did love that production I worked on, but while it was a wonderful experience, it also took the rose colored glasses off and really let me look at and really see what my life was gonna look like as an actor um, on this particular path for the next 20 to 30 years. And I realized I wasn't really happy. I didn't completely love it, something felt off. Um, I really needed growth or a challenge. Like I had sort of like hit this bar and this level. And then after that project, I felt like everything I was being offered was going back down the ladder again. Mm -hmm. And I just knew I was like, if I, if acting is what I want to do and I want to grow, I need to only say yes to work that's going to challenge me. And when you put that line in the sand, it doesn't always necessarily mean that those doors are going to open. So that's sort of what started to happen. And meanwhile, my day job started becoming more of a career and I never wanted it to be that. Um, so even though I was toying with the idea of, do I want to go into fundraising? Would I enjoy audience development? Would I enjoy X, Y, Z? I kept dabbling in different things and I realized it didn't feel, feel right for me. Mm -hmm. um, and for multiple reasons. So I hit burnout in my artistic career and then I started hitting burnout in my day job. And how I know that, and I can also say the definition of burnout is chronic stress and fatigue that isn't going away. Um, so, you know, it started with sitting in my car before work, uh, not wanting to go inside, finding every reason, like I, I would sneak away to go meditate in order to cope with the stress, um, or go on walks multiple times a day. And I just slowly stopped 
I started realizing my values were not aligned to the place I was working at. And I think especially if you work in a nonprofit setting, you really have to believe in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I definitely hit rock bottom. There were, there were definitely days where I were, was crying on the floor, not in the office, but in my room. And it was sort of that sign of like, you need to, you need to move on now. Yeah. So you moved on. I, there's so, <laughs> so many interesting points that I want to discuss, but I, I kind of want to go full circle first. So you moved on and you became a career coach for creatives after experiencing this difficult moment in your life. And I can definitely empathize with, with what you went through. Cause I went through this a very similar thing with sports. And I think mm. a lot of people experience burnout. So yeah. it's, it's really cool the work that you're doing. And I'd love to talk about what you do now. Yeah. So just to touch on your point of everybody experiencing burnout, I think, I think it's very common for creatives and, it, and athletes as well, because those are, they're very ambitious people. And sometimes your ambition blinds you to like, you stay so focused on the goal ahead of you that you ignore all your mental, emotional, and physical needs in the moment. Mm -hmm. And the longer you ignore, 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 your body has no choice, but to rear its ugly head and say, Hey, you can't keep ignoring me anymore. Um, So yes, I uh, did not know coaching was going to be for me. I actually ended up hiring my own coach, because I had hit rock bottom. I had tried all these different things. I knew I needed to pivot in my career. I knew I wanted to feel like I was doing something bigger than what I had been doing, but I didn't know what that was. And I ended up hiring my own coach because I was really, really lost. And I was tired of trying to pivot on my own. Um, And this coach was specific to entrepreneurship and building a business, which I had done enough work with myself to have a gut hunch that something in that arena was really calling to me. Um, Through that process of essentially beta testing all these different ideas. So I thought I wanted to create experiences. So I started testing the waters on my friends and just doing like miniature experience building for my friends. Realized that creating experiences was actually very exhausting for me. I loved interviewing people but the process of creating it drained me. And I quickly realized this is not something that if I make this my full-time work, this is how I'm going to feel every single day. And, but what I was latching onto was coaching them in their careers. So I put two and two together with all the other clues I had stumbled upon And I, I was in a group coaching program at the time and I put out an offer and I was like, Hey, if you're feeling stuck, I'm going through this program too. How about we hop on a call together and let's see if we can't work you out, work this out to what might your next step be. And I remember, like, I vividly remember like the first coaching call I had, I was so nervous. I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. This is for free as well. Like it's (laughs) just giving people an hour of my time and listening to them. And I remember at the end of that call, having the feedback of, oh my gosh, this was so incredibly helpful. Thank you so, so much for spending this time with me. And just to have that feedback and realizing, oh, I did something really, really good right there. Let me see if I can repeat this. And 
that was sort of the little signs that it was like, oh, this is the right path for me. Mm, I love that story. Mm-hmm. There's so many little things I want to dive into. <laughs> so, I'm so excited. So let's talk a little bit about awareness when it comes to your own journey and how you help others. How important are those little signs when you're following your career path? Yeah, they're incredibly important. I mean, I think the saying hindsight is 2020 is so spot on though. Um, It's very, very hard to catch the signs when you're on the path. And like I mentioned earlier, I tend to be the person who (laughs) I oftentimes try to save the ship. I become so loyal and dedicated that I will fight and fight and fight for something and try to fix and help something, even though I am no longer fully invested in it, Mm -hmm. but I have this sense of responsibility to it. Um, So I tend to miss exit signs. I tend to miss the signs that are telling me, hey, why don't you go check out this other thing for a little time? Um, And I I think one of the biggest misconceptions that took me a while to understand is yes, loving what you do and being passionate about what you do is important. However, what you do should also energize you. And oftentimes that is the piece that we ignore. Mm -hmm. Um, And energy actually comes from being good at something, being very naturally skilled at something, you probably take it for granted. You assume that everybody else is naturally skilled at the same thing, but they're not. There are things that you are naturally very, very good at that other people are not going to succeed as well. And when you're able to craft work that lets you use more and more of those skill sets on a day-to-day basis, Oftentimes what happens is you feel it in your body. Like you feel yourself being re-energized again. There's always going to be pieces of your work that drain you. There's always going to be pieces that you don't want to do. But if there are enough pieces that are a part of your work and career that fill you back up again, that for some unbeknownst reason, you do the activity, you do the thing, and you somehow have energy afterwards that's a sign you're on the right path. Mm, I like that. Mm-hmm. That's so important. And that's so interesting to me to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's dive into the work you do with creatives because there's a lot of different avenues, I think, for creatives. I think even as a podcaster, you can take a role as a hobby or a passion or your life's work. So how do you help people decide whether they want to take, let's say, acting or photography mm-hmm. at to, um, to a level that's a hobby or to a level that's their full-time career? Yeah, that's, it's hard. It's really hard to figure out. And I can tell you because I've done it. I've seen my friends do it. I've seen so many people like we've, we've tried to turn something we love into a career and it doesn't always work. Um, My first piece of advice, especially for creatives, so creatives um, have a terrible, terrible tendency of trying to make everything a part of our work. Uh, Whether you're entrepreneurs do the exact same thing, but it's like you try to take every strength or skill set or passion that you have 
and like, how can I make money off of this? Yeah. The problem is all of us need hobbies. We all have to have something that is 100% enjoyment and has zero stakes involved. And I think it's important from the get-go to sort of pinpoint what are those things in your life that you want to protect? So you almost set boundaries around them. And it doesn't mean that down the road, you can't decide, oh no, I'm gonna let this boundary open and I'm gonna let it become part of my work. That's okay. But it doesn't mean that everything that you're passionate about should become your work. And you do, you have to protect some of those things that you love. Um, Because the second that they become work, you also are no longer a consumer. Um, You are now a producer of the thing. And that's the biggest difference as well is what often happens is like, we, like, I, I love theater and I love, I mean, the better example I think would be, I love dancing, love to dance. However, do I want to be a professional dancer with the hours of rehearsal room and producing that sort of content and be in charge of doing all of the things that come in the back, like the bucket of being a professional dancer? No, (laughs) absolutely not. Um, And it's hard. It's hard to know ahead of time. I think that's the hard part about college. Like I even... I have a good friend from high school who went into becoming a doctor and realized halfway through medical school that this wasn't necessarily something that lit her up anymore. Like she wasn't actually completely fit for this role. Mm -hmm. And that was really, really difficult because she was also halfway through school and halfway through all of the things that's involved with that, including the debt and the classes and the time and everything. And what I've realized is my best piece of advice is sort of to like do your homework. Um, start pinpointing people in the industry that you admire. Ask for informational interviews. Get to know who they are, what they do, and what their life is like. And not just their work, but like their all-encompassing life. Do they, do they tend to work weekends because they're an event producer and that's required. Is that something that you want in your life? And starting to sort of put together all the dots of, does this feel right for me? Mm, That's incredible advice. That's really good. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about something that I know creatives can face in their career, Mm -hmm. but I know a lot of business people, entrepreneurs can face as well, but you talk about scarcity mindset and imposter syndrome. Do you mind explaining these two concepts and how we can overcome them in our careers? Sure. So scarcity mindset is the mindset where basically the way you approach the world and the way you see the world pretty much fully like 100% of the time is from a place of scarcity. So there are not enough resources. There is not enough time. There is not enough money in this world. Uh, there are not enough clients. There are not enough customers there, are, whatever the case may be, everything is limited. And that's all you ever see. It's not to say that some of these things aren't a reality, like budget cuts are happening or et cetera, et cetera. But when 
you become so fixated on all of the limits that you have and that's all you ever see. It's like, it's like your box just keeps shrinking. Um, what also happens to a lot of creatives and artists is you start saying yes to every single opportunity you can get your hands on mm-hmm. because you're so afraid that you will never have another opportunity come your way again. Not to say that like that can sometimes happen, but I think we oftentimes forget or don't always see that when we say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. Mm-hmm. So that scarcity mindset, imposter syndrome is, is very much something that pops up, especially when you're trying to move outside your comfort zone. So that imposter syndrome is the voice inside your head that's telling you you're not good enough. You're not worthy of this. You can't do this. You don't have enough skill sets. You you haven't worked enough years in this position. You're not talented enough. You don't have enough technique. Who are you to go after this job or go after this opportunity or approach this person and network with them or talk to this person even? Um, The beautiful thing about imposter syndrome to remember is everybody has it. It doesn't matter if you are a multi-million dollar CEO of a company or if you are just graduating college. Every single person across the board has it because the second you step outside your comfort zone and basically like reach for the next level or try to move past your comfort zone, our bodies and our brains are very, very good at trying to keep us very comfortably where we're at. And so that voice likes to pop up and say like, nope, 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 come back here. It's safer over here. We know what here is like. Don't, don't get bigger, don't grow. That's really good advice. So let's say one of someone you're working with or someone you know feels stuck and they, they either have this scarcity mindset or they're, they're in a place where they're just not doing well in their career and they don't know where to go. How do you and the work that you do with the Find Your Path program and everything like that, how do you help them get unstuck? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I very much approach it from an individualistic point of view of every single person is different. And what is going to be right for you is not gonna be right for somebody else. And so also eliminating the judgment um, across the field, which I think is very prevalent in the arts, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear that when somebody else makes a decision for their life that is different than what you yourself would choose, it's very, very easy to like latch onto that and be like, oh, they moved to the suburbs they had a family, they're never going to be like an actor again, or they're never going to be famous or whatever the scenario is. So I'm very much into like, get rid of the judgment. This is just about you. And my process is very much how it's bringing you back to yourself. Um, Because oftentimes what happens is we've been absorbing so much of society and the people around us and perfectionism kicks in and we're like, okay, how do we succeed at this? I've been told this is the goal. So I'm going to go after this goal blindly, not even realizing if it's the right path for you. Mm -hmm. Hence find your path. Um, So I'll actually 
jump into this, but I have five very clear steps that looking back at my own career pivot, these were the steps that I needed to take in order to gain clarity on what was next for me. Um, so first, just clarifying the misalignment. So before you can go anywhere, you have to know what is no longer working. What, what are all the clues from your past of what, what little specific pieces aren't working for you anymore? Also getting super clear on what are your wants, needs, and desires. Um, because oftentimes those, especially for creatives, they get put on the back burner based on career goals. And so bringing those back up to the forefront of what are you actually wanting in your life is really super important. Um, step two is going to be identifying your unique awesomeness. Um, yes, I made up the word <laughs> awesomeness, but I kind of like it. Um, so that's really focusing on getting back in tune with who are you? What makes you unique? What strengths do you bring to the table that other people aren't naturally as good at? Uh, what are your interests that are different? Um, what is the problem that you want to solve in the world? What are your, is your perspective on that problem? So really understanding like the full bucket there. Then you can take that. And the next step is really, really kind of challenging, but you have to pinpoint the new possibilities. Um, often creatives don't have issues with having ideas. Like they're very much idea machines. So it's like, okay, I could go down this path. I could do this thing. I could do this thing. So just writing it on a sheet of paper, getting it all out there. And then you have to choose one <laughs> <laughs> and start exploring that one option. So instead of exploring everything, choose one and really start breaking it down. Um, getting to know what does this industry look like? What does this path look like? What is the pay like? What is the lifestyle like? Is this going to fulfill all of the other things that I've said are very inherent and true to who I am. If you decide then that that's something that's right for you, then you start slowly building that pivot plan, which that's the thing that doesn't, it's not going to happen overnight. It can take some grease. It could take some elbow work. Uh, but that's when you start building, like taking the baby turtle steps towards something new. That's so interesting. And I love how you said baby turtle steps because of what you said. <laughs> but what really stood out to me was you, you wanted people first, they have to pick one thing. Mm -hmm. They can't go with a bunch of things and you have them pinpoint areas of the career that they might ignore if they just went right into it really excited. So I'm really curious to see, is there something that creatives maybe going into their first role forget to notice like with pay or time frame? <laughs> is there like a common, common theme that you see a lot? Uh, both. <laughs> I would say, I would say pay is actually probably the worst. Um, okay. That was something that I was, I had a big misconception about. I, I honestly thought, and I, I, looking back, I don't know where this number came from. I don't think this ever was an actual number, but for some reason, I honestly thought during college or when I graduated college that I could be earning $32,000 a year as an actor living in Chicago. Not great. Nothing to be crazy about, but like not, not bad. It's something. Yeah, no, oh. uh, 
I like, I, yes, maybe if I had gone strategically after the things and the projects that would have paid that amount. Um, but looking back at like the road I was on, that was not the pathway I was on. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. So, um, I think there's definitely a misconception around what am I, what can I actually be paid in this world? But there's also a misconception around what am I worth? And that's the, that's the tricky other side of it because creatives, especially artists in particular and performers have often been told you're replaceable. Wow. Um, you can't ask for more money. Like this is the stipend that you're going to get. Um, if you want to work, you have to accept this hundred dollars for eight weeks of rehearsals and four weeks of a show. Like it's, it's pretty, it's basically saying like this perpetually has to be a hobby for you. Not to say that those projects aren't worth it. Um, and not to say that those companies are not paying you everything they possibly can, because if you look at I, and I could dive into this all day. I'm not going to dive into that topic, but like they are oftentimes being as equitable as they possibly can, because that is the budget they're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's something to be said of asking yourself, is my reality based in, is my conception of what my life going to look like? Is that something I've made up in my own mind or is that something that I see around me. And I think that's really what ripped those rose colored glasses off of me was I finally started looking around me at the people I knew um, because I was, I was fully entrenched in the theater industry. Like that is, that was my network. That was my community. That's all I knew. And I started realizing when I looked around me that I couldn't pinpoint an actual person whose life I wanted. Hmm. And that was a really big red flag that was telling me you're off track right now. Mm -hmm. If you can pinpoint somebody who you admire, that is showing you that that's something you want in your life. And they're also actually showing you that it's possible. In which case, learning more about them, even reaching out, getting to know them if it's possible, um, can give you a lot of clues and pinpoints of like, okay, how can I slowly work towards where they're at in their life? Um, but yeah, that's, I think we were dreamers. Creatives are often dreamers, but it's hard to make sure that dream is fully re- rooted in the reality that we're living in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious if, do you think that a person can, like from a college student perspective, do you think a a person can avoid burnout in their career? Yes. Um, Yes, I do. I think though it takes, it takes someone who's going to respect their own value First of all, you have to know your own value and know that no job or work is ever worth you sacrificing your values over and over again. 
I mean, unless you really, really can't make ends meet, but then it's like all of your energy has to be focused on changing that current situation. Um, one of the best ways to prevent burnout is making sure that you know who you are and you're listening to what your body is telling you. Hmm. Um, because your body will tell you if something's off or wrong. I think the hardest thing though, is when you're younger, <laughs> it's sometimes hard to have that. Like I've, I've spent most of my twenties trying to like peel off all the layers that have slowly covered up who I actually am and I'm still working on it. Yeah. And that takes a lot of vulnerability just to mm-hmm. discover that and to actually listen to yourself. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah. I would say the smaller thing too is, and something that I think can really, really help is knowing that nothing is permanent. Change is always happening. And so choosing yourself in the moment there, I think there can be a lot of fear of what's, what are the repercussions? What's going to happen to me if I do this? And slowly learning to have faith that in yourself and the world that you live in, that nothing is, nothing is ever set in stone. Mm-hmm. Like um, Tim Ferriss actually has a beautiful, beautiful, it's like a fear setting exercise, which you can Google, I think, fear setting Tim Ferriss and it'll pop up. Um, but it's really taking like your worst fear, going to like the worst possible example of what would happen reeling it back into reality. And then honestly having a conversation with yourself and asking you, okay, if this were to happen, how would I fix the situation? And so even like if a decision were to lead to financial failure or losing a job or whatever the case may be, that's like the worst case scenario in your head, having sort of like the back pocket strategies of like, okay, now how would I come back from that? How would I fix that? And having confidence in yourself that you can still take these risks despite the fear that's popping up inside of you. Mm, Very interesting. When you're making those difficult shifts, is there something you tell the people you work with or someone when you're making that pivot, is there something like a mindset or something you keep in your mind to be successful in a difficult career shift? Hmm. That's a good question. I think for everybody, it can be different, but especially, so the question is in regards to being in the middle of a career pivot. Mm -hmm. This is something that I've, I've learned a lot, especially from the manifestation community. So Mm -hmm. it's okay if you're not anybody listening, if you're not in the woo world, but I think it's still relevant. Your job is to know what you want, not how to get there. Mm -hmm. That's really good advice. Yeah. It's hard (laughs) advice. It's hard. I I have a hard time. Like I have a hard time listening to it, Mm -hmm. which is why I think I've taken it so much to heart because I have to keep repeating it to myself as well. Yeah. Um, all we can do is live in the now. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of other factors that you don't have control over and you never know what's going to happen. 
And so really at the end of the day, all the best thing you can do is have the strength and the inner knowledge and the bravery to declare, this is what I want. And then let some of the how just know that it's outside of your control. Does there, is there an aspect of mindfulness that you bring to your work? Um, yes, I would definitely say a lot of the work that I do is holding space for yourself again, which I think is a lot of mindfulness as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and mindfulness is really, really a great practice to cultivate um, because it essentially it strengthens your ability to recognize thought for what it is. Just Mm -hmm. because we think something doesn't always mean that it's true. And if we are thinking or feeling something, mindfulness can also help you get to what's at the root or core of it. That's very true. And you seeing thoughts as thoughts instead of being fully immersed in them, I feel like really would help with that. Absolutely. Um, I'm definitely somebody like my brain goes a mile a minute. It, oh, it functions way too quickly. Um, and so I don't, you have to remember like our subconscious is making so many decisions for us. And so taking those moments to slow down and get some space um, can really help us reroute as well back into our gut and our instincts and what's actually at the, at the source and the core of everything. Hmm. When you help people slow down in that sense, is there a way that they can do it while still being immersed in the hustle and bustle? Cause when I think of like clarity and finding myself, I think going out to the mountains by myself for mm-hmm. eight days or something like that. Is there a way to do it if you're still involved with technology and all these external forces kind of still at your, at your door? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think it's even just taking, taking moments amidst the hustle and bustle. And this is something I'm, I'm still not the best at. And I still constantly, I'm a workaholic. Let's, let's be perfectly honest. So I'm learning it's, it's a constant game with myself. Let's put it that way of how can I bring myself back into the moment? Um, so something that I found really helpful is using the Pomodoro method, um, which is setting a timer, working 25 minutes and then stopping, mm-hmm. um, which sometimes then I'll actually have a book on my desk and I go and read for five minutes and like pull myself out of what I was originally doing. And then I can go back to working. Um, something like that. I definitely find journaling helpful. I fall on and off the journaling wagon all the time though. So, um, even just standing up from my desk and going for a walk. Walks are definitely a big go-to for me, um, which oftentimes lead to some of my better thinking. And I think the important thing to remember too is, Sleep, non-time, taking walks, like all of these moments can actually 
lead to deeper and better thinking. It actually allows your brain to connect dots in those moments that when you're in the hustle and bustle, it's going so fast, it just, it can't do it. That's really good advice. I'm going to try that. I've tried it once <laughs> for a Spanish final and it actually went well, but I haven't done it since. Try what? <laughs> the the Pomodoran. Pomodor- the Pomodoran method? Yeah. Yeah. It's, if you can stick to it. Um, the other piece of it is only focusing on one task at a time. Mm-hmm. So you purposely choose a task and then that's all you do for 25 minutes. Is that what you recommend creatives do as well, because I know there's a lot of different avenues people can take. Do you really recommend they hone in on one project at a time? Yes, yes. Um, it depends what they're juggling. I mean, sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes you are. You have to remember, like, we're also like you're always going to be juggling relationships, friendships, work like it's, it's a never ending cycle. Um I definitely, though, recommend only taking on one major big project at a time and staying focused on it, um, because what happens is, and this was an analogy that uh, my business coach um, told us, is uh, think of it this way. You're hungry for dinner. You can't decide between Chinese food, uh, Japanese sushi, or Italian food. So you hop in the car and you start driving to go get Italian food. And then like five minutes later, you're like, no, I want Japanese sushi. And so you start driving there. And then five minutes later, you're like, no, I really want Chinese food. And then you start driving the other way and then you change your mind again. And so you start going in all these directions and you're not getting anywhere. But, um, and this is why I say this with career exploration, especially if you go get Italian food, sit down, try the Italian food, really immerse yourself in it then ask yourself, is this actually what I want? It's much clearer of an answer. And if you don't like it, you can go get up, pay your bill, but (laughs) go get sushi instead Um, or Chinese food, whichever floats your boat. Mm -hmm. And, but that does mean you have to have the confidence that again, no decision is final. Mm -hmm. It's okay to make a decision, go into it and then realize, nope, this isn't right. And then you pivot. Hmm. I like that analogy. I know students do that a lot too. If you have a lot of projects, we kind of mm-hmm. jump a lot. And then I notice we're not doing, like we're not getting anything done, which is really cool. Yeah. I think another method that I use, I mean, being an entrepreneur, you're constantly balancing a ton of different things and a lot of different projects. Um, Another technique that I think, actually, I think the CEO of Twitter uses that I really like is theming your days. So outside of scheduled events or meetings, you actually sort of put a theme on your day of like, okay, this is my, let's say, social media day. And so that's going to be the focus today is building Instagram content and posting this X, Y, and Z. And then Wednesday can be my podcast day or vice versa. And you sort of just put a theme on the day so that you're focusing all of your extra time towards this one category. I'm going to try that. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of good advice with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Interesting. Okay. I have two more questions. Yes. So my second to last question 
is in regard to any creative who might be listening, but what advice would you give to a creative, whether they're young or old, who's feeling a little bit burnt out in what they're doing? Yeah, I would start, I mean, at the heart of it, I think you need to get to the heart of what's leading to the burnout. Well, no, first you need to deal with the stress and there's, there's actually a really, really great burnout book called Burnout um, and the Stress Cycle by Amelia and, oh shoot, Amelia and Emily Nagowski. And they're the ones who really sort of drove it home for me that there's a difference between stress and the stressor itself. So you can, first and foremost, you wanna deal with the stress. And oftentimes that means exercising, it means doing yoga, it means normally doing something physical to tell your body, hey, you're okay the lion is not going to eat you. You can relax now. Um, and exercise is usually the quickest way to do that. Then you sort of have to deal with the stressors. So it's asking yourself, is this going to require tweaks? Do I need to just change little things? Like when I'm working, uh, the project that I'm working on my perspective, do I need to just shift my mindset? Uh, does it need something bigger, like clearer boundaries? Um, which is something I've definitely had conversations with managers and my jobs about. Do you need clear boundaries? Do you need to maybe switch to a new position or like really ask to get off this project and onto a new project? Or are you at the point where you need an overhaul? Hmm. Um, which really just means you're, you've realized that almost everything you're doing isn't right for you. Like the path you're on is leading you in a direction you don't want to go down. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you're like, nope, we gotta, we gotta dig everything up. We gotta relook at the map. I need to find a new map and go a different direction. Thank you for sharing that. I think, yeah. that, I think that'll reach a lot of my listeners. That's really important. Okay. I have one more question and it's my favorite question. Um, So going places originally started as a travel podcast. Mm -hmm. So I stay true to my roots. I don't know if you've heard this, but if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you not go? Ooh, where would I not go? Um, I would not go to, hmm, I, you know, I don't think I ever have the desire to climb Mount Everest. Like, I know that's like an amazing feat and I admire the people who do it. Chicago gets cold enough for me. I have no (laughs) desire (laughs) to go (laughs) climb to the top of the mountain where I risk death by freezing cold. That's so, a good yeah. answer. You'll climb the metaphorical mountains. Yes. <laughs> I'll climb the, uh, the smaller mountains, but yeah. yeah, no, Mount Everest, no need. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate all the amazing advice and your story is so incredible. Do you mind just sharing where my listeners can find you? Absolutely. So the best place to find me is on Instagram at the T H E Victoria Hines, uh, Victoria and then H-I-N-E-S. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was my interview with Victoria Hines. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. 
You can always find Victoria on her website. I highly recommend her amazing bi-weekly news newsletter. She just has incredible advice and just an amazing outlook on life and overcoming burnout. Thank you so much, Victoria, for being on the show. If you like this episode, I encourage you to listen to my other episodes. I interview amazing human beings who give amazing advice and have wonderful life experiences. Thank you so much for tuning into Going Places. I hope you can find me on social media. Please let me know what you thought of this episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Bye.